So in the in the notes, you'll see there at the top of the notes, I've got um, our key concept for this week, godly parents, established family standards. But then I've got some review because um, I think as we go through the book, we are, um, <clears throat> or as we go through the lessons, we're taking our cues from the book. And so a lot of the content comes from the book, but not all of it. And some of it we will rearrange as we go just to make it fit uh, the way we're delivering the class and the format that we're using. So um, I gave you a little bit of a review from lesson one that I taught and lesson two, Pastor Rich taught. And I think it will help put in context what we're going to talk about this week, because in the book, I feel like she kind of backtracks a little. And uh, the terminology, if you're reading along with us, the terminology, there's some Christianese there with uh, biblical convictions and personal convictions that might become confusing. And so I've I've kind of latched on to some uh, synonyms that she uses for those to try to help clarify. So, so here we go with that. So foundations of parenting is what we spent the first two weeks on. And um, my experience in working youth ministry uh, frequently is that parents will in high school begin, begin to really uh, recognize needs that uh, you have to address in the lives of your children as you're raising them. The difficulty is, as you're trying to build, you know, I, you can see here, I've got the beautiful, uh, lovely home here that we all want, picturesque home, and you'll recognize that there are some problems. And uh, so parents will come to you for help. And um, the difficulty is that a lot of times what they're at is they're working on their roof. And so they come to you and they've got some roof problems. The problem is for 12 years or so, they've neglected to put in time and effort and material into the foundation. And so here we are, we're working on a roof that really is just sitting on the ground. And uh, what has to be done first is, when you're building something, you start with a foundation. And so that's what we started with week one, talking about the concept of the gospel. And, and I put it in terms of stewardship, um, that parenting is a stewardship. You've been entrusted. That's the name of the series. You've been entrusted with these children and raising them to nurture them, uh, to follow the Lord. And that when you set out about that task, you're going to quickly run into your limitations and because of that, that whole process is designed to um, bring us to a state of dependence on God. So parenting, actually, when we seek to do this uh, in the way God describes, will draw us to him. It will force us to recognize our need for God. And then we talked specifically about the gospel um, being the foundation, because if you don't focus on the gospel as the foundation, what you fall into is an unending and a very frustrating cycle of behavior modification with your children. And, um, you know, you might actually be successful in getting them to do some of the things you want them to do. But ultimately, our problem is not just our wrong behavior. Our problem is our corrupt heart. And our behavior, our wrong behavior comes out of that corrupt heart. That's what Jesus said. It's not the things that we put into us. Uh, that corrupt us, but it's all the things that come out, the lying, the murdering, the envious. That's all the stuff that's coming out of us that corrupts us. So the gospel's core, it's foundational. We start with that, and it, it gives us then context to be raising children um, as a steward 
uh, in spite of our limitations, but with the grace that God supplies. And then Pastor Rich uh, spent last week talking about the concept of biblical principles. And we did get into some of what we'll talk about this week as well. Um, but the core of the lesson was about biblical principles and that that is the foundation. And biblical principles, as as defined uh, by Betsy in the book, are those things that are true for all believers, regardless of time or culture. And so that's the foundation. So when you do that, now you've got something that will support the building of walls. And eventually you will get to the point where you're your children have reached the teenage years and the young adulthood, and now you're starting to put the roof on. And it's still not going to go perfect. You know, we're, we're building in a fallen world. Our materials are, are flawed and we're flawed. We're not perfect builders. And there's all kinds of problems we still can encounter in this broken world in which we're trying to carry out the stewardship of parenting. But if you do it the way God describes and you start with the foundational principles and then you build on that, um, you're going to enjoy much more success. And then you'll also be able to identify more clearly uh, when problems arise, what the problem is. So um, we do that. Then we are uh, on our way to building the happy home that we, <laughs> we all want. So uh, we spent last week's one and two building the foundation Today, we're going to start talking about the idea of building on that, the practice of parenting. So that's what you got on, um, there's our, our key concept. That's what you got on point one there, the practice of parenting. And, uh, there are really two key things, um, that we're going to talk about, uh, in the practice of parenting. And that is, uh, and both of them relate to family standards. So last week we talked about biblical principles. This week, we're going to talk about um, taking those principles. We got into this a little bit at the end of last week and applying those to life and helping your children do that as well. So uh, the practice of parenting, first of all, forming family standards. And I, I defined biblical principles. Let's define family standards to distinguish them. Family standards are the application of principles in your specific time and culture and circumstances. So... Um, Whereas biblical principles are true for all believers, regardless of time or culture, family standards are you trying to apply those things where you are, when you are, and in your circumstances. And I want to give you four, um, four principles, I guess, or four uh, guidelines maybe would be a better way to refer to them to think about as you're forming family standards. And, and by the way, um, I think, um, I don't list this here as one of the guidelines, but it, the ideal uh, for parenting is that you have a mother and a father and you are as a team working on these. Now, because I said earlier, we, we live in a fallen world, things are broken. That's not always the case. Um, sometimes you are a single parent working on these things. Sometimes you are a grandparent working on these things, uh, things like um, marriages uh, dissolving or death cause us to sometimes have to do these in ways that are not the ideal. But ideally, uh, and we're addressing the material here for couples who are raising a child together, and the assumption under that is you're doing these things together, and I'll reference that from time to time here. So um, begin with scripture is the first thing. That's why we spent last week talking about biblical principles. 
Um, you know, the Bible is very clear. I'm going to give you some references. I may not, I'm not going to put them on the screen. Um, I probably won't go, uh, through all of them, but in second Peter chapter one, if you want to jot that down, second Peter chapter one, especially in verse, uh, three, um, but there are other, other, uh, verses. The context is very important here. The Bible says that he has given us, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And um, he's telling us essentially, as you look at what it says just before that in verse two, as well as into the very well-known section below that, where where we're told that all scripture, um, that scripture is not given by any private interpretation that um, it's profitable in the context of that. Um, we are being told here that God has given everything that we need in his revelation of himself to us in his word uh, for life and godliness. So that's why we begin with scripture. So I think, you know, that's not a controversial concept. Um, but some some additional guidelines here is as you form family standards, application of biblical principles for your family is to respect your conscience. Number two, respect your conscience. And this is really uh, where you can have some wide variety here because of your upbringing, because of your spouse's upbringing. Um, you know, you may have things that your conscience is sensitive to uh, that your spouse is not. And uh, there's several references um, here that I could I could steer you toward um, in Acts chapter 24. Uh, we're told there that it's good to strive always to keep your conscience clear before God and man. Um, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if you want to jot that down, verse 7, that it's possible to have um, an overactive conscience, which it refers to as a weak conscience. So it could be that your conscience is, um, you know, hypersensitive to something that inherently there's not something wrong with, uh, but that you grew up with it this way. And so that's important to respect your conscience. Um, I'll give you a couple of other references if you'd care to look them up. First Timothy 3, 9, uh, and first Peter 3, 16. Paul talks about keeping a clear conscience. Um, just this idea of conscience, the, the, the bells that go off in your mind, um, telling you that something's right or something's wrong. Um, you know, we want to be careful of our, what our culture might tell us uh, or what in the past has told us, always let your conscience be your guide. I mean, your conscience can be wrong. Uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 4, chapter 4, verse 2, that it's possible for your conscience to be severely broken, to be severely miscalculated or calibrated. It says uh, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So your conscience is not the ultimate guide, but um, the Bible is clear that we shouldn't intentionally violate our conscience. You know, in the, in the passage in um, 1 Corinthians uh, that's talking about a weak conscience. Uh, it says very clearly there that if our conscience tells us something's wrong, we ought to obey that. Um, if we go against our conscience, then we are willing to do us wrong, and that in itself is dangerous. 
So, so first begin with scripture. Uh, make sure I'm giving you the, the slides here. <clears throat> Second, respect your conscience. And then thirdly, exercise discernment. Um, Philippians chapter one, verses nine and 10 say this. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So there's foundational knowledge and insight, which is in, implicitly informed by God's word. It's how we know things. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So exercising discernment uh, is important. Um, thinking through things like your family background. Um, you know, you know your background, you know your spouse's background. Thinking through things that might be a stumbling block in your family um, or things that uh, from your family history, you know, promote godliness and, and, sh- and sharing values that God says are to be valued. Um, you know your children. Um, that's something that we'll talk about later in the uh, study, but that your children are all, not all the same. And so addressing every issue with every child identically um, is just not possible. And so you have to exercise discernment as you form family standards, taking into consideration your background, your spouse's background, your children's personalities and um, strengths and weaknesses. So it really does take the exercise of discernment. And then um, fourthly, a guideline to think about, especially as we try to do this journey together as a church, is remember liberty. Remember liberty. Let me cue that next slide. There we go. And what do I mean by that? Um, if you were to look at Romans, in fact, if you've got a Bible handy, flip to Romans chapter 14. I'll reference a couple verses there as I, as I go through this. Um, Romans chapter 14 tells us that there's such a concept as disputable issues. So things about which you and I can disagree and uh, one of us is not sinning in our disagreement. You know, it's not a clear biblical principle that is, um, you know, always do this in this circumstance. And uh, so Romans chapter 14 verse 1 says, accept those, the one whose weak, uh, faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows, he gives an example, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So he's, his context here, he's thinking of uh, perhaps people who um, have, uh, because of religious background, certain dietary laws that they're used to observing. And he says, one's going to do it this way, one's going to do it that way. The one who eats everything must not treat the one uh, who doesn't with contempt. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So here's an example where Paul says there's there's room for disagreement. So uh, disputable issues do exist, and Paul commends understanding in those situations. And uh, we also need to remember that just because the matter is disputable doesn't mean that it's irrelevant. So there are going to be issues about which you need to make decisions. Um, and I'll, I'll not 
bring up an example here because I think we'll have some examples in our discussion time. I'll leave that for you guys to the, to discuss those. Um, but just because it's disputable doesn't mean you should ignore it and say, throw your hands up and say, well, I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, the Bible tells us in, in the same chapter in verse five, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own minds. So Paul is recommending here that we think it through and make a decision. Do what you think is best in that situation. Do your best to apply what God says to your circumstance. And then, though, he goes on to say, be careful, though, about judging the other person's standards. So in cases where we disagree, a matter's disputable, you make a call that's best for your children, for your family. Um, be understanding, exercise grace and mercy toward each other and be careful of judging other people's family standards. And certainly then the last point on that is don't let your personal convictions cause discord among fellow believers. Uh, in the end of that chapter in verses um, 19 and 20, let's see, do I have that here? Yeah, he says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So he's saying, don't allow the fact that we need to do this exercise and the ways that we decide to shepherd our family as best we can be a source of discord uh, among your brothers and sisters, uh, among the body of Christ. And I think implicit in that is don't be a crusader for your personal standards. We have to be gracious to people who make different choices than us. Um, and so he says in that same chapter, so whatever, this is verse 22, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So there's some good principles to remember as we try to form family standards, applicational guidelines that we use in our household uh, for our time and our culture and our circumstances. We start with scripture. We respect our conscience, um, exercise discernment, and remember liberty. Let's see, did I get through all of those? Oh, looks like I had an errant slide in there. I skipped... Uh, was a slide from last last time. So remember liberty. So um, so is that clear? The idea of forming family standards. I'm going to pause here and uh, ask for some feedback. Let me stop the screen share. Do you guys are you clear with what I'm talking about? Would it help to have them? I've given you some biblical examples, New Testament examples. Paul gave eating meat. Uh, in that context, it was meat that had been sacrificed in pagan temples. Hey, thumbs up from our ladies there. Thank you for using the nonverbal feedback. Matt, applause. Thank you. <laughs> Any questions about that? You'll have a chance to talk more about that in the, in the breakout groups, but I didn't, I'm going to talk about communicating those next. So I didn't want to go on if there were questions. We good? We're good. All right. So. Let's talk about the next point, which is the communication of those standards. Um, 
family standards, two key concepts when we talk about communicating them. First is be intentional, be intentional. And what do I mean by that? Well, think about the intentionality that I'm recommending in regard to two in two ways. First of all, with your timing, when you communicate particular standards for your family. Um, you know, you don't have to, I'm, when I'm not saying, uh, or when I'm going to say next is not saying you have to lay down your dating policies uh, when your child turns four because they're going to head to school and they might get a crush on a little girl or a little boy. So lay out all the details of your family dating standards when they're four years old. That's not what I'm saying. But you also don't want to wait until taking that idea of dating standards for your family. You also don't want to wait until your child comes home and starts telling you about the person they're interested in. At that point, they've gotten ahead of you and chances are their culture and their peers have begun to inform their standards before you've given them uh, your family standards. So this means that you'll likely need to talk about standards before they're important and at the level at which your child's prepared. You know, so when they're really little, when they're really little, you're telling them things like when daddy says no, that means you can't do it. And there's very little explanation required for that. Uh, it's but you're letting them know clearly uh, what's expected of them. We'll, we'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself there. Um, so you'll need to talk about these kinds of things. Um, things like dating, for example, sooner than you probably want to. There's a sense in which the culture in which we live and the influence um, that it has will uh, have some influence on our agendas and timelines for, for how we do this kind of thing with our family. And we have to allow wisdom and discernment to dictate how best to proceed. Um, um, you know, Romans sixteen nineteen. I thought of as I was thinking through this concept of allowing our culture to have some say in when we uh, communicate about various standards with our children. Uh, Romans sixteen nineteen says this, everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And I've heard that explained in some contexts as being naive about evil and and I guess in one sense, that's correct. We, Our child doesn't need to know every uh, debauched concept that our culture lifts up in order to know that the culture um, has wrong values. That's, that's true. It's good for them to be innocent of some of the vileness that our culture wants to normalize in their thinking. That is true. Um, but it doesn't mean that things that we uh, are unable to, to avoid in our culture, like dating, for example, if our kids go to school, I don't care if they're at a private school or Christian school or public school, they're going to encounter the idea of dating. In fact, it's a very normal thing. We want to introduce them to this idea of male-female relationships. This is natural. This is God-given. We want to introduce them to that. Um, but it doesn't mean we, uh, you know, that verse, for example, doesn't mean that we want them to be ignorant about um, what they're going to encounter when they learn about what the culture says about a, a given topic. Um, we want that we want to give them context and we want to set the context for them from God's perspective, from what his word says. So 
just noting there that being innocent about evil doesn't mean being ignorant or naive, as is sometimes implied or explicitly taught. Um, it does mean you don't have to experience every kind of evil to know that it's evil. Um, knowing the, uh, in the book, they talk about counterfeits, knowing the truth so well that you're able to recognize a counterfeit readily uh, is a good concept to think about in that regard. So timing. So when we communicate these standards, it should be ahead of when the child's going to have to employ the standard. So we want to hit those things early and it's different at each stage of child raising. So, you know, it starts with as a little tiny child learning basic concepts. And as they get older, learning more complicated concepts. And then that leads to the second aspect of being intentional. And that is not just the timing of it, but the reasoning of it. Not just when we communicate these particular standards, but why we've chosen these particular standards. And there's two reasons mainly for this one explanation as they get older um, will will help with our admonition to not exasperate our children, um, helping them understand why we've arrived at the conclusions or the standards we've chosen uh, is helpful to them. It's not that we owe an explanation to our child of every decision that we make. They have to obey whether they understand it or not. That's the, the way God has established the authority of parents and the family. Uh, but as we're able to communicate reasoning to them, it will help them to abide by and obey that standard. But more importantly, uh, the second uh, uh, way that reasoning, sharing the reasoning with your children helps them is that sharing this process of how you arrived at the standard and why mom and dad want the family to go about uh, things this way is actually modeling for them and mentoring for them for the time when you hope that they will do this for themselves. So as your children mature, be willing to discuss with them not only um, what the expectation is for your household, but why that is the expectation. And um, think about it this way. You won't always be there to tell them what to think or do about a given situation. Um, chances are, you have faced situations and had to think through moral dilemmas and standards that you'll employ. You've had to go through this with situations your parents will would have never imagined had to be dealt with. And your children will likewise have to do that. They'll have to consider things that you've never had to consider, um, that you wouldn't have been able to prepare them for because the situation didn't exist. And teaching them how to use discernment and apply biblical principles to their specific circumstances is the best preparation for life that, that you can offer them. So not saying children uh, have the right to question their parents and not obey, have an excuse to not obey if the, if the thing doesn't make sense to them. Not what I'm saying at all, but be intentional in how and when you communicate uh, to the, to your children, the standard you have set up for your family and why uh, as they mature, sharing as appropriate why that's the reason or why that's what we've done. So that is, um, that is being intentional. The second principle is be clear. <clears throat> and really two ideas um, regarding being clear here. Don't be ambiguous. You want to, you want to make sure that expectations for children in your family are clear. So they'll know when they've crossed the line and that the consequences are clear. And that will help you as a parent because uh, you're you're less likely to um, 
make the kind of mistakes we make when we're just, you know, playing from the hip and calling audibles as we go. Now, there are going to be times you have to evaluate a a circumstance and make a decision and make a judgment. But if you have, if you've thought through as parents clear guidelines and thought of the issues that are the most weighty, tried to anticipate them, then communicating those um, and being clear about the expectations and consequences are going to help uh, as your children then try to obey them. So that that's the concept of personal or family standards. So we've built on the foundation of the gospel and biblical principles, and now we're at the stage of building walls. What does your house look like? How does your house operate? And there are tons of topics that can fit into that. We're going to go through a lot of them through the course of this study. But today, just the concept of them. And then as we get into the breakout discussion time, uh, we'll have a chance to maybe uh, talk about a, a little bit specifics and how this process works.